We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Setting the pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and I'm joined today by the one and only Michael Joseph and Fachi. Fachi, what's going on, brother? All right. What do you got? What does it mean? What do you think, brother? You embrace it or you do you not embrace it? Would you call me Josephine? What was it? Jo- Joseph Josephine. Josephine. I could not even begin to tell you. Just lay it on me. I need to know. Do you embrace it or do you not? Uh I feel like it's a trick question. And I'm supposed you want me to say I'm not gonna embrace it, and then it's gonna turn out to be something good. So I'm just gonna say, you know what? I'm lukewarm on it. I really don't know. What do you got? I, I gotta know. I gotta know before we move on, Fotch. Not embracing it. Okay. Stands for JO7, Jermaine O'Neal number seven. So you do not embrace it. So he is not a Jermaine O'Neal fan because he is you probably wrong. had a backup option of what I didn't. I didn't. It was exactly I made it up. You asked for no wizard stuff this time. So I had to come up with something else because I was upsetting you a little bit with the wizard. So could have gone Brooklyn, but I thought, no, we'll do J07 Joseph. We'll change it up a little bit. Three off. If you're listening, I always got you. So you know what? I'm embracing it. But man, Alex, coming off of uh, the Tyrese Halliburton episode, I would just say life is good. That was a load of fun. Uh, I just want to say shout out to our listeners because. We got some awesome feedback from you guys. You guys are literally the best. And what keeps Alex and I hungry to keep putting better content out there. So appreciate everybody who said they listened to the episode. Everybody who might not have said they listened, but they did anyway. And then give us your thoughts on the new intro over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really appreciate that. 
Yeah, the new intro, I mean, that was a lot of fun. And I was able to put a little bit of a video with it as well to try to make it a little bit more enticing to fans if they weren't able to listen to the episode yet or just kind of maybe skip through the intro because you're ready to hear Tyrese Halliburton talk. So wanted to put that out there. But yeah, it seemed like a lot of people really enjoyed it. And, you know, it was really cool. And I got to give, uh, I think it's moved on is the the writer. I was his Instagram name and his Twitter handle are backwards. So I always get get it mixed up if it's Don Smooth or Smooth Don. But I think it's Smooth Don. Uh, was the artist of that so I want to give him a shout out as well because that was fire and um, I gotta ask Fachi how many times have you went back and listened to the intro I've listened quite a few times very fresh love the YouTube intro too I mean the video you know that Alex put together if you guys have not checked it out the YouTube intro is awesome um so either way I feel like it gave our, our show like a new updated style it's important to get with the times so always try and switch it up like each season but you know, I think that this one fits our show greatly. Yeah, and we got a great relationship with our guys. So if we do trade players that are mentioned in the song, don't worry. Uh, I'm sure he'll help us and update it. But definitely love the, the the feedback we're getting. But we got some basketball to talk today about Fachi. And first and foremost, I think we got to give credit to our 30 for, the 31st pick in the NBA draft from this year, Andrew Nimhart, inking a four-year deal at the Indiana Pacers. And we talked about you know, what kind of contract he would get. And so what were your thoughts on this contract? Yeah, I mean, shout out to whichever one of our listeners sent in that question a while ago of saying that, hey, when Kennedy Chandler signed his deal, which was the largest guarantee at the time, $4.9 million, they asked, what do you think Nemar's going to get? Would he top it? And I felt that maybe he would get a little bit more, like $5 million guaranteed. The Pacers all of a sudden just come in. All of a sudden, they ink. Thank uh, Nemar to a four-year, $8.6 million deal. However, 6.4 of it guaranteed, the largest guarantee uh, in NBA history for a second-round collegiate draft pick. Still curious why they said collegiate when it just seems like overall that's the largest guarantee. Um, I, I tried finding to see if there was someone out of the G League that ever got a larger guarantee. I was not able to find that. So. The Pacers, they're dishing out large, the largest offer sheet ever in NBA history, and then the largest guarantee for a second-round draft pick. So, overall, I think this is great. I mean, clearly, they, they like Nemart a lot. I think that, you know, if he's to work out, I don't think it's a big deal at all. But also, this still allows him to potentially hit free agency earlier. Um, I thought, you know, maybe a great negotiation by his agent, because even if he had $5 million guaranteed, it's the largest guarantee but to go all the way up to 6.4 just showed, hey, the Pacers are willing to say, we want to keep our guys happy. Yeah, and what's really interesting, too, is second-round picks are able to negotiate their contracts, mm -hmm. and they're not guaranteed. They're not like a base salary like a first-round draft pick is. So Bobby Marks put a great tweet out last night. He said, the Nimhard contract has more guaranteed money than picks 18 through 30 in the first round, and it allows uh, him to hit free agency one year earlier. So he said this is one of the best second-round contracts that he's ever seen. And we know Bobby Marks was a front office guy for the Nets. He was the one that made the infamous Kevin Garnett, Paul oh, yeah. Pierce deal that got the Celtics all those Nets picks. So, you know, I think Bobby Marks is his brother, I believe it is Sean Marks, yep. is the GM of the Nets right now. So um, it, it's really interesting to hear front office guys like Bobby Marks is the GOAT. Don't get me wrong. Like he knows everything. So it's cool to hear insight like that and just kind of get some more in-depth detail on this contract because look I mean Andrew Nimhart second round pick you know probably the third string point over the Pacers this upcoming season but it does put into question Fachi how much higher on the totem pole do you think he is right now than maybe TJ McConnell if you're looking at the future of this team 
Yeah, no, it's definitely going to be very interesting. I, I feel like right now McConnell has a very important role, and that's to continue to help develop point guards on this team. Like, you know, he's got to be that veteran for Halliburton. Uh, also to be, you know, a mentor to Nemar, because I feel like at this point, Andrew Nemar, promising point guard, but I don't think he's fully ready yet. I like what he brings to the table, like his command of an offense and everything. But I feel like we mentioned third string point guard. That, yeah. That's what he is right now. Yeah. But I think he's got the capability to develop into that primary backup point guard. But for TJ McConnell, a lot of us forget two years ago, McConnell, uh, most assists off the bench, second most steals in the league. He had a lost year last year with the wrist injury. It looked awkward when he played, had the injury, rushed back at the end of the season to, to play a couple of games. So I think McConnell still has an important role this year, but nothing's guaranteed moving forward other than some money on the books where, you know, he could get traded. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think this team still needs a couple of veteran leaders around it because they're super young. And I don't know if you got a chance to listen to Draymond Green's podcast that he put out today, but Lou Williams, you know, Lemon Pepper Lou, he was on the show and he talked about how the league is just continuing to like funnel out veterans for good yep. players. And he said that really he felt like his role was kind of diminished in Atlanta, but it was the best spot for him. But he did kind of like embracing and having conversation with these young guys in a limited role. So I, I kind of agree with that. I know we make jokes and kind of poke fun at Udonis Haslam being that guy on the end of the Miami heat bench, but one, it creates a different dynamic if he's able to talk to the coaches about what the players are feeling. And two, I think it's also just good to have someone that's been in the league and knows what it takes to win, be a part of your bench. So I definitely don't think TJ McConnell should just be dealt for nothing. Nope. But, you know, when I look at guys like Turner and Buddy Heald, we really haven't heard about them having those leadership qualities that a McConnell does. So I think the Pacers, especially Rick Carlisle, values that from McConnell more than anything. And like you said, Nimhart's still very raw and he's got a lot to work upon. I mean, watching him play without the good guys really in summer league, not the same player. So, yeah, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know who has a worse shot. You or Nimhart, but you guys hey, have a I'm shooting winning, contest. Yeah, I guess so. But, you know, you're not making $8 million, Fachi, So No, no, I'm not. And it would be a crime if it was. But uh, <laughs> at this point, look, when you mentioned, you know, Nemard, it, it, towards the back end of Summer League, like, I mean, if you just look at his stats, they're not going to tell the story because he was out there with a lot of guys that are not going to be on NBA rosters. So what I looked for was, is he like a real point guard in, in being able to put guys in the right spots, be able to control an offense? And I saw enough over there that I, I felt good about it. Yeah, for sure. No, I think there's a lot of potential with him. What I have seen on some social media platforms is like how other analysts were just praising this pick for the Pacers. And I'm like, I didn't really see that. I'm not trying to be mean. I, I felt like there was a lot of draft analysts that kind of had Nimhard a little bit lower than where he was selected. So to me, it, you know, like the Pacers said, they were surprised. Like they say that every year. And I think we need to bring this up too. Like they were like able to get Kendall Brown at pick 48 and trade into the second round for it. And we've heard a lot about how they love Kendall Brown and he's a top 20 prospect in their eyes. Well, first of all, if he was top 20, you would have taken him 31st instead of Nimhart. Second of all, uh, there was a report out today from our good friend, Zach Pearson, someone that I know from working over at eight points, nine seconds. He's one of the side experts there. He put out a, 
a little bit of a, a notification today for all of us, a little bit of a Pearson bomb. I think this is more realistic than a Massey bomb, right? So we got Zach Pearson. Much more realistic. Yeah, so Zach Pearson never puts out anything unless he's got uh, an actual source. And we talked offline, and trust me, Zach's source is 100% uh, legit. So let's just put it this way. Kendall Brown's going to be put on a two-way deal instead of, you know, signed to a um, – a contract with the roster. So that means that there is technically one roster spot open if Kendall Brown is uh, eventually signed to this two-way deal, Fudge. So with that being said, Kendall Brown going to a two-way deal, what do you think? I think it's the right move. I think it is. I know there's people that are just like, oh, I, I like Kendall Brown's game. Like, I want, let's get him out there. I want to see him play. I don't think he's fully ready to play. I think Kendall Brown is one of the players that would have benefited most from returning to college because this guy was a top 15 recruit. Many people believe that he definitely had first round potential, but didn't really get to, to show it all. So I, I think that he sometimes, you know, he, he's could be aggressive at getting into the hole. He's, he's fast and he's explosive, but I feel like sometimes it's almost like needs to slow down a little bit. I think if he goes to the G league and can really get reps on, yeah. on a routine basis, it's going to be the thing that benefits him most. And then at, at towards halfway in the year, come up, play, he'll have a much bigger role. I think that's going to pay off big time for Kendall Brown. Yeah, I kind of wonder here if they're trying to leave a roster spot open because they're going to make some potential moves. Um, there's still potential out there for them to do something, right? They've got a bunch of cap space where maybe they can absorb a player's contract and not have to worry about waiving a guy. That's why you keep 15, like you keep an extra roster spot open or you don't have to deal somebody back if you want to take back someone's contract with a pick. There's a lot of different ways to like go about it, but I think really the reason they're probably looking at doing a two-way deal with him is for the optionality. He'll still be able to play in the NBA and the G League, like you mentioned. But I also think, look at what they did last year. They rewarded those guys, especially later in the season and converted those two-way contracts into eventual you know NBA contracts. Now, look, it didn't work out for doing Washington Jr. right now as he's still sitting on the waiver uh, wire out there and uh, can be claimed by any team right now. Um, for whatever they want to pay him. So with that being said, I just I just feel like it's a smart move for optionality reasons. And if Kendall Brown is okay with this and doesn't take it as an you know as like offensive, like hey, you guys told me you want to be top 20 and now you're giving me a two-way deal. I mean, I think he needs to look at the path Terry Taylor took. Terry Taylor very firmly uh, you know, a part of the Pacers' future, in my opinion, based off of them guaranteeing that contract, the way he played in Summer League. I think he's a really nice player that can be utilized here in this in this rotation at certain times. I don't think it's going to be full-time always, but overall, Flash, I just feel like there's a lot of upside with Kendall Brown, but he's very, very, very raw as a prospect. And he's going to have to, you know, hone some of that, those talent, that those the talent that he has and just get a little bit better. Exactly. It's so hard to get much better if you have a super inconsistent role or you only get a couple of minutes here and there. Go to the G League and put on a show. I mean, overall, I, I think that Kendall Brown showed a decent amount in Summer League. He averaged 9.4 points, just under four rebounds, two assists per game. Did this in 21 minutes, shot 50% from the field. But one thing, maybe it's too small or whatever, 5 of 11 from the free throw line, that was alarming. I feel like it's like, let's just work on getting that shot down, being able to, you know, get in a consistent role. And I think that this time, look, we've already talked about, this isn't a player that the Pacers are banking on this year to have a big impact. It's, hey, the fact that we were able to get him, you know, late in the second round in a trade, 
perfect. It's like yeah. the icing on the cake. Roll the dice on a low risk, you know, situation with high reward. So I think the G League uh, two way contract perfect for him. Absolutely, Pachi. Well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to rank the 15 players that we know that are on the roster from 15 to number one, and we're going to reveal them in that order because we're going to be talking about their importance to the franchise moving forward. So it's not necessarily like where their stance is right now on the team, but moving forward, what they could mean to this franchise. We'll be right back after this. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Fachi. So like we said, as we went into the break, we're going to unveil our top 15 players list here in terms of most important to the franchise moving forward. Okay. I want to make sure that we get that emphasized there moving forward. So this is not like a player ranking of who is the best player on the team. So you don't freak out when we're doing this. We're just doing it most important moving forward. Me and Fachi have not looked at each other's lists. So we're going to unveil them here on the show I'm sure we'll have some commonalities in terms of like what players we have ranked where, but I think we will have, we always do differing opinions on where we put per certain players. So I guess with that, Fachi, let's start at number 15. Who do you got? There's a chance we could have a difference right over here. I'm going with Daniel Tice. Okay. Tice, good player. Do we know if he'll ever even throw on a Pacer jersey? I don't know, and I can't <laughs> tell you that for sure. So there's a chance that while Tice is a quality backup center in this league, uh, he might never even play for the Pacers. So we'll see. We'll see what they end up doing right now. We have too much money, so I don't know if they really need to be in a rush to dump him. But I haven't heard enough about him as like a teammate to the point where I don't know if maybe he's someone that is more than fine with a rebuild and just being a veteran over there. Or maybe he's someone that wants to go to, you know, a winning team and they find a way to just kind of fit him into a trade exception or something. Yeah, well, shocker here. I had Daniel Tyson at 15 right, as well. well. There we go. Okay. It just felt like, okay, he's probably in his, what, is he close to 30? Is he 30 yet? I believe he's like 29. Okay, so he's real close to 30. Plays a position that, you know, we have a lot of big men on this team. Probably won't crack the rotation right away, I wouldn't expect. I mean, obviously he meant more for Boston than he'll mean for us. And, and even in the, the finals, he really couldn't crack the rotation because – he was kind of unplayable. I, I I don't dislike Daniel Tice as a player. I think he's fine for who he is. But with this team moving forward, I feel like he's got to be at 15 here just because of the age and how everything else factors in. Yeah, uh, you know, I well well said. I, I'm on board. Um, number 14, 
I'm seeing a, I'm, I'm sensing a similarity over here. I'm going with Goga Batazzi. Okay, right, yeah, look, I got Goga too. <laughs> yeah, look, you even had a tweet out there. We forget Goga just turned 20. Oh, I know. It's so weird. Just, and it felt like the potential's been gone for a while now. But look, he did make some improvements last year. Did those improvements come at as the Pacers were at like their worst point in the last 35 years? Yeah, it did. But he's still really young. I think that, you know, outside of this year, he still has his qualifying offer year after that. So there's still like a chance he could be with the Pacers for more than one year. But he finally also did have some big games where he put up like 17 points or 20 points. And in the month of March, he averaged 14 and a half and six rebounds on 60% shooting. So you saw like, hey, Goga could do it for more than just one game at a time. But the Pacers weren't winning, which makes me kind of question everything. Yeah, and I kind of wonder if Goga's style really fits what the Pacers want to do moving forward in terms of who he is as a big man. Like, we know that he can shoot the three, and it doesn't look bad, but it doesn't go in. Um, he's not like a major lob threat guy either. He's more He feels like he's more of like a back-to-the-basket kind of guy. Um, he can do a couple little face-ups here and there, but I just don't really see or envision Goga being here long-term. I know this sounds crazy, but I kind of would have liked to have seen him in the G league with the group. I know like, but it's year four. I mean, it really, there's no need for him to be in the G league and, or not the G league, the summer league, excuse me. Um, That's what I meant to say. Summer league. I would have just liked to have seen him. I would have liked to have seen that. I would also like to have seen him more in the G league. He went down there and dropped like 40. Well, that's the thing. I was like, Oh man, that's the thing. I mean, I just kind of want to see him play with like what style they're wanting to play. It's not even about, Oh, can Goga play in the league? It's like, no, we know Goga can play in the league. Like, is he a great player in the league? Probably not, but he can still hang in the league. There's no doubt about it. We've seen that enough. And like you said, he dominated the G league. So excuse me there uh, with my misspeaking, but I would have just liked to have seen him play for, like I said, the reasons to see how he would have fit in with this style. Like I felt like it was sometimes okay, but sometimes a little bit clunky out there towards the end of the season last year. And you just got to wonder like fans all over the place have been asking, have we traded Goga yet? When is Goga going to be off the team? And it's like, I'm not trying to like kick the guy out. Like he's an awful guy, but I just don't see the long-term future with him. Everything just kind of went wrong for Goga from day one with his visas and trying to get over here and all that stuff. So I feel like he's just kind of a, you know, getting drafted to a team that had two centers on it, like, I just kind of feel bad for the guy. It, it was probably, you can make a strong argument, the worst situation you could have went to. Like, they already had a center debate. Now you bring in another guy who, they, while they claimed was NBA ready, was not NBA ready. So, and I feel like I'm showing my age here with the, with the saying, this man is slower than molasses. Like, he is just not fitting an up and running, you know, type style of offense that, Overall, the man is an NBA player. He is. But, like, he would have been better being on, like, OKC where he could have just, like, developed his game a bit and, like, got a lot of run compared to a Pacers team that was actively competing for a playoff spot for, you know, at least two and a half of his years, you know? So, overall, the ship's mostly sailed. So, I think we're in agreement. But moving on next, this is where maybe we'll start to differentiate. Maybe we won't. But I'm going Aaron Neesmith. Look, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, because here's what I'm saying. Look, add Neesmith to the list of players the Pacers are rolling the dice on. Look, he didn't get to show enough elsewhere. A former sniper in college, man averaged 23 points per game, five boards, shot over 52% from three. He was a lottery pick, 14th overall. You know what? That was a few years ago at this point. Uh, Overall, I think he could be listed as like your 
third shooting guard, your third small forward, whatever it is. I don't see him as a primary backup unless someone's hurt. But overall, Summer League gets it gets a late start, you know, due to the Brogdon's physical needed to happen, everything. He averaged 9.7 points, 5.3 boards. Alex, he did it on 27% shooting, yeah. nearly four turnovers per game. That's not what you want to see out of a third-year NBA veteran at that point playing in Summer League. Next, the reason why would tip the scale – uh, after this year, he's got a $5.6 million team option. So he's got to work out first because it's not a decent, you know, it's more than just a little chunk of change. That's that's pretty decent. Man, um, this is interesting because we are completely opposite on this. Okay. Um, I understand the, the summer league disappointment for sure. But you got to look at who he was playing with and you got to realize where he was at. He got traded. I think Scott Agnes reported this while he was, out playing golf like he had no idea he was getting traded so he, he decides okay I'm going to come here like he really didn't even need to play in the G League because or excuse me I keep saying that the summer league excuse me he didn't need to play in the summer league because like he's a third year guy like you know he's going to be a part of like the reason the Pacers went after him is because they believe in him they think he's you know Kevin Pritchard talked about this they believe that he is a guy that is going to end up fitting in with this young core. So for me personally, Fachi, I'm just a little bit disappointed that you have him so low because I really believe in his upside. But for me, I'm going with Kendall Brown. Okay, this is where I have him at 13. And I feel like this is a bit where I start to hate my list. Okay, I was about to say, man, people could be talking a little bit of a reach here. I love Kendall Brown. You guys know how excited I was about that draft pick. Like, I was like, are you kidding me? We got Kendall Brown. We traded back up. What it go, KP? Let's go. Um, that's how I felt about it. But at this point, with him being on the two-way deal, you got to wonder, do they really believe in this guy to not put him on the roster full-time? Why not just give him the 15-man roster and cut somebody else like a Tice or something like that if you don't really believe in him? So that's where I'm kind of at with it. It's like, you're going to put him on a two-way deal. Okay, that's fine. But I also think the fact that, you know, the fact that there's a chance he gets cut from that two-way deal, like, um, it, it's just, it, there's the, the non-guarantee, like, as much as we believed in Dwayne Washington as a shooter, like, I don't think any of us really expected him not to be here right now, if you would ask us two months ago. So that's kind of where I'm at. I believe in him as a player, but I wonder, because of the, you know, not guaranteed contract, how he factors into their long-term uh, plans. I, I love him. I think that he could be something special if they give him the opportunity to, but at the same time, a little bit hesitant because of the two-way deal. Yeah, now I'm with you. I wanted to create a little suspense over there, but I got Kendall Brown next. Okay. Um, basically, he's the wild card. He really is. Heading towards a two-way deal, you know, 48th overall pick right over there. I, I, I thought that the value was through the roof. You know, we're talking about, I mentioned before, you know, consensus five-star prospect, top 15 overall recruit. I think this man would have killed it in college this year. But for right now, I don't really know what we're going to get from Kendall Brown. I think that all the potential is there. But, you know, if it doesn't work out this year, it's not a guarantee. So that's kind of the thing. We've seen our two-way contracts rotate what feels like year after year. Every now and then you got a guy like, you know, know, I think O'Shea, you know, started a 10-day contract, and, and then he got converted. But then Terry Taylor, Dwayne Washington. But then in the past, there was like Brian Bowen. And, um, man, I'm already blanking on that guy who killed the Nets one time. I think he ended up playing on the Jazz. Uh, he was a two-way contract. Oh, Poitras? Alex Poitras? No, no, no. Uh, oh, George Niang? 
No, no, it'll come to me. This, this, it was this other guy. He killed the Nets. He dropped like 15 points on him one game, and then he barely played for us. I, I'll, I'll look him up uh, okay. as we're talking. But, yeah, I remember Poitras. He, he never really got off the ground, really. Uh, uh, no. But, anyway, look, I, I, there's a lot to like about Kendall Brown's game, but there's also not a big investment in him. So that's kind of why, why I have him at this point in the list. Okay. Yeah. So obviously I had him just one spot below you. So we're not too far off here, Fachi. So for me, number 12, I'm going for your guy from the Sacramento Kings, Buddy Heald. Whoa. I have him, I have him this low only because I'm curious. Do we believe that he's going to be here by the end of the deadline? I don't know. That's my thing. He's 29, 30, could be 32, could be 31. Nobody really knows, but you know, he's a good player. There's been a lot of rumblings recently about the Lakers having interest in him. And I know while people are a little bit hesitant about the Russell Westbrook stuff, I get it. It's like they're doing it for the draft picks. So stop over worrying about, stop freaking out about Westbrook. Okay. He's not going to be here long-term. If they did it, it's more of like a, Hey, we got the cap space. He's an expiring. So basically you make the deal for picks and then next year you have all that cap space, even more cap space than you'd have now. So it does make a lot of sense to me, but I also think about what Dave McMenamin has said. Taylor Horton Tucker is a name that the Pacers could go after as well. They just left over that roster spot for Kendall Brown. And I'm wondering, you do know that Taylor Horton Tucker and Tyrus Halliburton were both freshmen together in 2018, 2019 for the Iowa State Cyclones. So there is that connection there. Maybe Tyrese is like, I can get the best out of him if you bring him here. Now I come off the bench. He's not going to be starting because that's Jalen Smith's spot. But getting another power forward to me could make some sense. And you know, I think the name Taylor Horton Tucker has become over-talked about because it's all the Lakers have had to offer. So that is not a big deal to me. But why I have healed here, not because I think he's a bad player. Like I said, really talented player. I've had people ask me, what do they do and get rid of one of their best shooters? This team desperately needs shooting. I understand what you're saying. But I think at the same time, you have to look at the roster, look at his contract, and try to put two and two together here and think, does he make sense long-term? I think he can make more of a case why he doesn't than why he does. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, for Taylor Horton Tucker, it's just the fact that he's dangled in every trade has just made me like feel that he's so intentionally overrated. Like the man just went to the Drew, Le- uh, Drew League recently and <laughs> dropped like 11 points or something yeah, like he's that. He's a role like, player, man. That's what he is. I know, but how are you going to drop 11 in the Drew League? Um, anyway, now he's getting the ball. What was that? Was he getting the ball? I didn't watch the game. I just saw the stat line after. Okay, yeah, um, look at you, stat boy. Well, I mean, what am I gonna? What am I just watching every Drew League game now? Like, I don't have time. Yeah, if you're for gonna that. be bringing it out here and making fun of somebody, at least have some context. The, the field goal percentage. It was like the man shot like 37 percent in the Drew League. All right, so oh come on, princess, keep whatever. it moving. What you Moving got? on. Uh, ironically, another Iowa State guy. The name that I was looking for, Nas Mitru. Hey, okay. Uh, that he had that one random game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Game. I remember um, that now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That that was the Nas game. But anyway, um, the next person on my list, and I want to petition to take this name from Kenneth Farid, who had it, and give it a Terry Taylor. That's the manimal. All right. Half man, half animal. This man was exactly that. A man amongst boys in the summer league. I'm gonna stand by it. I think for his height, I think he might be the best rebounder in the NBA. Or he's mm-hmm. he's up there. Six five. This man swallows rebounds. So summer league, yes, it's summer league, but he averaged 13.7 points, 7.7 boards, did it on 57% shooting. I thought, you know, he looked like he didn't belong in summer league. He looked like it was it was below him. So 
awesome to see. But overall, he showed a lot last year with the Pacers. Averaged nearly 10-5, shot 61%. Overall, look, he's still that, like, third string four. You know, you could play him as a small ball five, but you're getting real small at that point. But regardless, I look forward to seeing him extend his jumper. We saw that at times. Still got a lot of work to do over there, but I think the potential is there. But he would be higher on this list if he had any guaranteed money moving forward, which unfortunately he doesn't. Okay, well, that's a good point because I was about to ask you, like, do you really think, like, if you're looking at the the future of this team, like, moving forward, do you really not see him as more important than some of these veterans that I've already brought up? Look, I, that, and that's that's where it's swayed it because no guaranteed money over there. Yeah. Hey, look, if you're under contract for another year or two, sure. But overall, some things could change about those veterans. But, you know, we'll, we'll get to the, some of those later. And that's kind of why I knocked uh, – Kendall Brown. So I guess I can't be too hypocritical of you here by doing this, but um, at my number 11, I do not have Taylor, but I do have a guy's uh, last name that starts with a T and ends with an R. This is where I've got Miles Turner, Fachi. This is a tough one because I know people are probably thinking like, oh, you just hate Miles, but that's really not the reason I'm doing this. It's, it's one of those things like he's constantly in trade rooms, dude. And he's in an expiring contract. And there's been a lot of rumblings that he's not going to be here. Like, uh, you know, I've listened to other Pacers podcasts and they're just like, what is going on? Like, I know Scott Agnes is pretty adamant about the Pacers don't want to get rid of Miles. Miles wants to be here. But I've heard other people say, at what point do you have to just stop with this back and forth relationship? Like, it's really annoying, dude. Like, I'm really tired of talking about Miles Turner. And if I'm tired of talking about it as a podcaster, just imagine how the player that's constantly being talked about feels. So to me, it's just like moving forward, like, Sure, if they could come to an agreement on like an extension, then sure, Miles Turner is probably top five to seven in this range here for me. But right now, I just feel like with the uncertainty of what the Pacers believe in Miles Turner, and if you go back and read uh, Scott Agnes's article today talking with Kevin Pritchard, Pritchard made no comment about wanting to be with him long term. It was more like, yeah, you know, the reason guys go after, you know, the, the reason his name's always in rumors is because, you know, people really want him. Okay. And then he goes on to say, he's like, we're very transparent with our players. And this is all during the DeAndre Ayton situation. So with that being said, I just don't know if the Pacers believe in Miles Turner long-term. And that's kind of why I felt like I had to put him uh, ahead of Buddy, but being one of the longest, the longest in your Pacer, but one of the older guys on this team at just 26 years old, I just wonder what his future is with this team. Yeah, all, all valid points. Uh, some of them that I, I very much agree with and ones that I will cover when uh, when the time comes. But next, I'm going with a guy that you covered recently, and that's Buddy Heald. Okay. It hurt me to have him this low. I wanted to have him higher. You know I got that soft spot. But talent-wise, look, he's there. He's up there. You know, this, this guy, like, he shouldn't be this far down the list, but he does turn 30 later this year. I actually believe he could be 31 or so, but also uh, feels like he's the roadblock between, you know, Duarte and Matherin fully being unleashed because, you know, just to, to think about it, it's going to be hard to get all those guys to really be playing 30 plus minutes per game. If you, if that's what you want, but buddy played 35.6 minutes per game for the Pacers last year. It was a lot. He started every game as a Pacer. And, and honestly, I enjoyed what I saw. But the Lakers have this obsession about him, or maybe LeBron does, and it just feels like it's only a matter of time. He's owed $40 million over the next two years, which really isn't that bad at all. But when you have the opportunity to get another first-round pick for him or you know some other young talent, continue this rebuild because that is the direction, then it makes him expendable. Uh, the guy was second in the league in threes last year, which I love. 
but I don't see him finishing out his contract with the Pacers. I see a best case scenario. Maybe he finishes next year, but he's probably traded at the deadline, if not traded before. Yeah, I can't imagine him outlasting his contract that he has. No, I just can't. I can't. And it's like, I like Buddy. We were trying to get Buddy here if the, the Sabona stuff wasn't going to, like, get the extension back a couple years ago. We're like, yeah, Buddy to Indy. You know, yep. we were talking about it. I think there was even some talk that maybe we could trade Oladipo to the Kings for Buddy Heald. And we were like, yeah, let's do it. Let's get Buddy Heald. He's a shooter. You know, we need shooting. But overall, I mean, at that point, Oladipo's stock and, and value was so low. Like, we were just like. Oh, it was it was very low. Yeah, I mean, I know Buddy don't play any lick of defense, but my goodness, he's got an offensive game that's fun to watch. So, um, yeah, so anyway, I was really loud. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know what just happened there. Uh, but, but, yeah, Buddy Hill, I've already talked about him. He is number 11, uh, 12 on mine, number 10 on yours. So, for me, number 10, another veteran, TJ McConnell. This is where I've got McConnell. I think he is the highest-ranked veteran on this team for me for a reason. Number one, the contract. Number two, what I think he means in terms of leadership. We talked about that a little bit in the first segment. And then number three, um, Coach Carlisle just loves him. And every every coach that talks about McConnell just raves about his work ethic. He's been there working with the young guys during the offseason. Um, he really just embraces this kind of stuff. And I think, you know, Chad Buchanan said that they'd love to have TJ McConnell eventually, like, be a part of the organization as, like, a coach or something someday. So, they all believe in, in what he brings to the table. So I could probably put him up higher than some of these guys, but you know, it is a business, a business at the end of the day, but I just like McConnell overall as a player, um, good backup point guard. He can kind of groom Nimhart into that position um, still limitations, but when they want to play fast, I think he's a guy that's always got his head on, on a swivel, willing to play fast. And I, I think that out of the veterans we've talked about why well, he's probably the least talented of the three or four with, with Tice, probably better than Tice, but between Turner and healed, I, I feel like less talented, more important to the, the future of the team. Okay. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And McConnell's next on my list. And, you know, you, you know, gave you number nine saying, is number. What? You put him at number nine. That's his number. Yeah. Well, there we go. Just felt right. So <laughs> overall, look, McConnell, a lot of people could say like, what, why is he this low? This, this, and that. He's the adult in the room. I, I think that last year, I talked about earlier in the episode, that year was a wasted year for McConnell. People forget, but it's just like he was extremely beneficial to the Pacers the previous year. I mean, he was one of the best bench players in the NBA. I mentioned it earlier. Most assists off the bench, uh, second most steals in the league uh, per game. And But it was just so awkward watching him, like, shoot threes last year. He looked like my TV was lagging. The way it took him so long to kind of wind up, he never looked comfortable. But I imagine that he's been working on his shot. I think that it's this year is important for him to be the veteran for Nemart and Tyrese, really get them going. But I don't know if he's going to finish out that contract because if the Pacers are really looking to come to deadline, come maybe after next year, to start clearing out some veterans and stuff like that. McConnell feels like a guy that's going to be able to fit a lot of teams that might need that veteran point guard. So uh, I think maybe he's got one more definite year with the Pacers, but after that, even though there's potentially two years left on the deal, so three total, I don't think he sees it out with the Pacers. Yeah, that's tough. I could see him. I could see him lasting. I, I just feel like they could also say, we're going to give Nimhard the backup point guard. You're going to go to the third string role because that's eventually, that's essentially what he was brought in here for to do when Aaron Holiday was drafted by the Pacers. And so um, ended up taking Holiday's spot. And I think that he's still going to have a promising role with this team. And I think there's going to be some times when we see 
McConnell playing with Halliburton, uh, with Nimhart. I think you're going to see some of those two-point guard lineups just because um, while there might not be a lot of shooting, and I know that sounds terrible for spacing and stuff like that, just his ability to get guys involved and get guys going, I think that's his big thing. But uh, for me, at number nine, this is where I have Aaron Neesmith. And, and like you mentioned earlier, he's got that one-year guarantee left on his contract. But I do believe that if the Pacers can hit on Aaron Neesmith here, He's going to be a part of the rotation. I don't know if he's going to be a starter ever, but I do see him as a bench level guy. He's going to have to work on the three-point shot, get better because his rookie year, he played really well. Year two, he went through the sophomore slump, was on a championship level team, didn't get a lot of consistent minutes. And, and Kevin Pritchard talked about that. Sometimes they look for guys that were high draft picks that are hidden behind these really talented rosters. And if you look at the Boston Celtics, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, like where is he really going to get significant minutes from? So that to me is like, okay, the Pacers can give him an opportunity here to play with a pass, uh, a pass first point guard in uh, TJ McConnell off the bench, hopefully get him into some of the spots. I mean, obviously Halliburton's a pass first point guard as well, but I don't think he's going to be playing a ton with the first unit. So um, I think Nimhard's kind of a, you know, um, low risk, high reward type of guy that they went out and got. You got rid of a guy in Brogdon that you didn't plan on keeping. You got a first round draft pick and him out of it. So uh, to me, it's kind of one of those things where it's just like, I believe in his upside, but at the same time, you have to pump the brakes a little bit because he did have a bad year last year. Summer league wasn't a great example of who he could be. And then you also have to factor in the contract. So that's why I had him in nine. Yeah, no, that was, that was probably the guy that we differentiated. Maybe most time we'll see. There's another one that, you know, I still haven't named yet. So uh, he's the wild card. So we, we got to see. I mean, if Neesmith works out, boom, it was great. But it's such such a low-risk move that it's like, hey, we're just going to have to wait and find out. So next I have O'Shea Brissett. Now, Ooh, look, okay. I wanted to pick, put O'Shea earlier, you know, higher up on this list. But, Alex, tell me why there wasn't even talks of a contract extension. Maybe there was. Maybe we just didn't hear anything about it. But it, it seemed like it wasn't even a 100% guarantee that they were picking up his option. It was like, hey, you know, I think they took it down to the final day. That's that's how I remember it. Um, yeah. So I felt like this was the opportunity. Why not go for that team-friendly extension? You sign him to a, a deal, I don't know, what, what it could have been $4 million a year or $5 million, something like that. But I'm still not 100% sure that Carlisle's a O'Shea guy. I yeah. hope he is. Beginning of the year, I don't think he was. No. Um, but I, I hope things change. Look, after the trades, you know, if you look at it, O'Shea led us in team totals and, and a lot of stats, a lot of categories. He's got a big opportunity this year to either be the primary backup three. He could play a bunch of at the four. If, in, if injuries occur, he could end up being an every game starter again. But I think I got him lower on the list because this is his final year under contract. He's an unrestricted free agent. He might want to test the market, uh, you know, or maybe things just don't work out. I, I don't know, but that's why I got him here. Well, I don't want to speculate on who Rick Carlisle likes and who he doesn't like too, too much because we really don't know. We have um, no idea. Yeah, so, I mean, it's kind of tough to say. I mean, obviously, I think O'Shea talked about it on the show where it was a little bit rough. He was kind of like in the rotation, not in the rotation, kind of was in the doghouse and then kind of got yeah. that opportunity. So you kind of have to wonder, like, what happened. But I thought he played really well last year. He did. And I'll, I'll touch on him a little bit you know, later, because I think he's got more of an upside than maybe you do here with the long-term future. But I will say this, while I was a little bit surprised, they didn't maybe come to a contract extension with him in terms of maybe giving him more money. They can still do it, I think, up until February or March, something like that. So they still have time to do it. And I think it also just allowed them to have like 
they wanted to have that roster flexibility, the same reason they cut, you know, a guy like Dwayne Washington, like a guy we didn't expect to be cut, but you know, like, Hey, they, they waved him and they said, okay, we, we like you, but not enough to not go after DeAndre. And I think that if you would have signed O'Shea Brissett, that could have got into your money there for a guy like Aiton with that max cap space. So that to me is what happened. And so I'm not too worried about that, but for me, Fashi at number eight, this is where I have Terry Taylor. This is a guy that I absolutely believe in as a player. One of my favorite guys to watch from last season. The story is incredible. Very quiet guy, very basketball minded. Like nothing else really seems to like get him as excited about anything in life besides basketball. Uh, you know, we've had some talks with, with people that are close to him and it's just like basketball is his life. Like he's pretty quiet, dude. Like you know, being out in the public is like not his big thing, but he loves basketball. And I think basketball junkies like that. And like, I talked to some, you know, some people that are, you know, really involved in analytics and they were just like analytics, man, like Terry Taylor jumps off the page. So yeah. that, that's where I kind of think that. And I've heard that the Pacers kind of view him as like their next that young. So I don't think they're like the same type of player, but they both yeah. are like the, I think, I think Terry's a left-handed shooter, if I'm not mistaken. So um, but they're both kind of like smaller for their position, really good defensively, can rebound the ball well, not shooters. So, you know, there's some things there. I really like some of the developments I saw from him during the summer league. I'm not looking at stats, just looking at overall play. I thought he did some really nice things like putting the ball on the floor, kind of shooting that little five foot, seven foot floater. I thought he looked pretty good at that. So for me, I believe in Terry Taylor. I think that he's going to get another contract here at the Pacers. And I think, I hope so. Uh, you know, like the future of Tyson Turner is not very bright. So, to me, it's like Taylor could fit into that four or that five, whether it's a you know second unit or you know third string type of guy right now. I just feel like long term he's going to be a part of the Pacers because they believe in him. Yeah, I mean, look, I believe in him. You believe in him. I think all the fans believe in him. It's it's just a matter of just give this guy consistent playing time. That's it. Uh, he was an absolute. It's going to be tough. It's going to be but tough it, with it the is roster. Be tough. That's why I had him lower because it's like this is such a big year for him. There's the Nothing else is guaranteed. You know, they got team options after that, but nothing else is guaranteed. So, yeah, I'll say this real quick. I just feel like if you look at the depth chart, like there is a way you can talk yourself into like, okay, maybe Isaiah Jackson's actually the backup five. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's a chance Terry Taylor can play the foursome, right? Yeah. Um, do we like that pairing together? Do we think that they can be a dominant pairing together in the in the front court? My concern is not about – you know, the rebounding and the defense, it's more about the offense and are they able to be, you know, uh, able to mesh together? Is Isaiah Jackson going to hit that outside shot Yeah, it, where it's it's going to be something better? I think Isaiah Jackson's a great role man Oh yeah, in a pick and roll situation, but I don't see him as like that pick and pop like Turner. So that to me is where it's like Taylor kind of would probably thrive with more of a pick and pop type of guy, depending on where he plays. So, you know, I, I'm kind of like, questioning how they find the right playing time for him, but they could play them together. They did it last year and it wasn't like terrible. It's just not the perfect offensive fit. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely not perfect. Both guys shots are, are in, in the works, you know, so you know, waiting to develop. So we'll wait and see that next. I have uh, the man who just can't seem to get his name out of the rumors. That's miles Turner. I know you had him, you know, lower on the list. This had is him at I 11. Got. You have him at eight. Yeah. Seven. So, uh, seven, seven. Okay. So, Turner, longest tenured pacer, going to his eighth season, yet he's still only 26 years old. However, he's been nearly traded. 
or at least, you know, was heavily offered in the eight and sign and trade. And he's, he's been offered what feels like every single year, uh, so, you know, rumored somewhere. So he's entering a contract year. It doesn't appear that the Pacers are going to work towards any early extension at all. Could be traded at the deadline, could even be traded before the season started. But overall, there is still a scenario where he's set up for a career year. And yeah. that if things are to work out, you know, maybe they look and they say, hey, look, we got a bunch of money heading towards free agency and the center market isn't looking that great. Uh, what are we going to do over here? We got Miles yeah. Turner coming off a career year playing with Tyrese Halliburton. He's finally got, you know, a point guard that that fits maybe his style of him being the center compared to like Brogdon trying to work it in with, with him and Sabonis. So there's just an opportunity over here where it could work out, but at the same point, I can't put him any higher than this. Yeah, you were being a little bit nicer than I was. Um, that was. If he gets the extension, then I can see why he'd be, like I said, five to seven range for sure. Well, th- that that's why I was like, it's it's like a if, if things work out, you know, that type I of thing. I just don't see it working out. I'm not trying to be like anti-Miles right now. I really just don't see it working out based on how many times he's been in trade rumors. Oh, yeah. I mean, like we talked about. Cover, he's got to stay healthy first. That's also the yeah. big thing. If he can't play like 72 games, like not even like all the games, like you got to play like 70 games this year in order to be like, okay, all right, you know, I feel better. Yeah, and I think it depends on how much he wants too, right? Like that's a big part of it too, how much money he wants. Um, Is he the best center fit with Tyrese Halliburton? Probably not. Like I talked about that a lot, like why I wanted a guy like Aiton because – just a, a pick and roll threat like Isaiah Jackson is that guy. Now, I don't think Isaiah Jackson's ready for that starting center role, but, you know, is he going to get enough minutes with Tyrese to really develop that chemistry with him if that's what they kind of envision? I think there is a scenario where you could play Isaiah and Jalen Smith together in that, you know, front court and kind of see what that looks like. But you have to wonder, would they start Isaiah Jackson over Turner? Like, no, there's no way. So no, they wouldn't. I just, I, I just kind of look at it from this perspective. He's, He's a Turner is a great rim protector. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's as great of a defender as people think he is out in space. Yeah. The, the uh, blocks overshadows a, a lot. Um, and so and, that, that and kind it kind of catches everybody's eyes, right? I mean, he is a threat out there defensively. Like, oh, yeah, of he, course. Because, like, Kyrie Irvin talked about it, like, as soon as Miles goes off the floor, we're attacking the paint. Okay, okay that, that's a big deal. So you got to have something that can protect the, the rim. And I think that's why they went after Jalen Smith as the four, because. I think Jalen can block shots on the weak side if Miles steps up to block shots. So there's some nice things about it, but I also think at the end of the day, like the writing on the wall feels like it's evident with Turner, in my opinion. I don't know how you feel. You got him higher than I do, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I got him. I got him higher just because it's like, what other option do the Pacers have right now? Like it's like Isaiah's yeah. just not ready. Like it, it thinks whatever. This is where I got him, but at the same point, look who he's really ahead of. O'Shea, who's also expiring, uh, Terry Taylor, who doesn't have any money guaranteed, like Buddy Heald, who's probably going to get traded. So it's not like he's ahead of, uh, you know, some real core pieces here. For sure. So I'm going to move on quickly to my number seven, and I've got Andrew Nimhard. Um, like we just talked about in the first segment, he got that four-year contract, uh, second-round draft pick, uh, you know, just a, a really solid third-string point guard. The longevity of the contract makes it seem like it's inevitable that he needs to be up higher than yeah. some of the other guys. So the four years definitely makes it interesting. Obviously, the fourth year is non-guaranteed, I believe. So it's like a player option, if I'm not mistaken, team mm-hmm. option, something like yep. that. So 
there's an option on it. But overall, I do believe in what Nimhart can be as a backup point guard eventually. Um, obviously, the Pacers are very high on him. And, you know, from the people we've talked to, they love the fit between him and Carlisle. So I think playing with Halliburton, not just McConnell, but playing next to Halliburton, he's going to learn a lot. So um, not, not a bad point guard um, in terms of a backup point guard going with Duarte and Matherin and I Jackson Taylor in the summer league, you know, once he lost a lot of that talent, you saw when he has to do more, it's not good. But I think if you give him the right squad to go out there with, if he's just who he is, he'll be all right. So not too much on them hard, but I do. I, I, I was a little sour on him when we first drafted him at 31, Felt like it was a bit of a reach. I think a lot of other draft analysts felt the same way, but I'm talking myself into a little bit more because I do believe from what I saw that, you know, there are some things that I like about him, but a lot of things to work on too. I'm, I'm, I'm selling myself on him. I got him in the same spot or he's, he's in number six and I got on my list. So I struggled where to really put him in there because like, obviously, you know, you just compare a Turner's production and Nemar's production. Like what do you expect? They're completely different, but you're coming off of getting, the, the most money guaranteed ever for a second round draft pick that literally just happened. So clearly the Pacers have plans for him. When you mentioned summer league, it's hard to judge by his stats. The guy averaged six points, five assists, four rebounds, shot 35%. But when you look at the teammates that were out there with him, it, it's just, they're, they're not really many NBA players. So I don't want to judge off that. Like I mentioned earlier in the show, I want to judge off of, is he a real point guard? Yes, he is. He's not some dude like Brad Wanamaker. Or I don't know what, you know, what he really is. I'm sorry if you're catching a stray on this episode, Brad. But um, <laughs> right now we know we're going to get a guy who's going to set up players to be in the position to make the smart read, make the smart pass. Yeah, you mentioned Carlisle loves him. And at this point, you know, hey, the Pacers took him 31st. He's basically a first-round pick. We talked about got paid more than almost half the first-round picks. So that's why I thought this was a, a very appropriate spot to put him on the list. Yeah, for sure. Let's move on. My number six here, Foch. I got O'Shea said. I believe you had him at eight on your list, so we're not too different here. I think the reason I have him a little bit higher is because he's really the only small forward that we have on the roster. Yeah. Um, true small forward. I mean, the literally, literally the only wing besides, I guess, Kendall Brown, but he's on a two-way. So yeah, yeah, yeah. literally, though, like the only like wing player we actually have on the roster. So I feel like even though he's – only got one year left. I feel like the Pacers really can't afford to lose O'Shea Brissett. Yeah. Um, I believe in his upside. I believe that he's going to have a great season this year, probably his best season yet, playing this faster pace. I don't even know if he's going to start, come off the bench, what's going to happen. But whatever role he is given, I think he is going to thrive in it. And, you know, um, it's probably going to be hard for him to go from being a starter last year towards the end of the season to coming off the bench. That's the route they go because they did give Jalen the starting four spot. But they could put him at the starting three. I just wonder if they're going to like maybe do like a Duarte Matherin and bring him off the bench with like a Neesmith and, and Buddy or something like that. I don't know for sure, but um, we'll talk about starting lineups and lineup rotations and all that later. But for me, I got him at six. I feel like it's a good spot for him. Really talented player. I think that he's just starting to like get to his like, you know, just scratching the surface of who he can become as a player. And uh, yeah, I, I'm a big believer in him. So let's move on. Number five, who you got? Look, I love me some O'Shea, so I really do hope everything works out. Would have loved for him to get that contract extension. Still hope that he does. Would love to have him be a, a part of this court for years to come. But next on my list, I got Ajax. Look, freakishly athletic potential. This man can jump you know, out of the building. He can block anything in the air. He can, he can finish any alley-oop. I think he was viewed as more of a project coming into last year. If what we saw was what 
was supposed to be a project, then I'm all in. I yeah. love it. I think that he needs to continue to work on his jumper. He's got to develop a three-point shot. He's shown – I don't want to call it flashes, but he's attempted some threes before. And we talked about it when he came on the show about working on his jumper. He admitted that was a big part of what he's been working on. So if he can continue to get stronger so he can bang in the paint you know, against bigger defenders, that's going to be huge for him. I, I think he's still – filling out he's very young maybe what 20 years old or yeah um, so at this point he's got endless potential that's where I got him on my list yeah I think right now he looks too much like a crunchy cheeto compared to a cheese puff and you know that's kind of where I'm worried about him it's just like he's a little too thin and yeah. I mean nothing against him I do believe in him as a player I, I think that that athleticism with having that size or that size of a body like that body size is beneficial for being able to guard um, maybe some, you know, quicker guys, but he still was pretty bad in space on defense in the summer league. He was much better in drop coverage. So that's one of those things where I feel like he's going to have to get better at being an on-ball defender. Like we love the upside with him being able to block shots and stuff like that, but really he's better at trying to like guard straight up and hopefully not get bullied in the post and use his quick timing for recovery. Like that's one of the things I've noticed about him a lot is like when you watch him guard, like he's going to get out of position, but usually like he can use his speed and his length to catch back up with guys once they beat him off the dribble or something like that. But in the NBA, that's a lot tougher because all these guys are insane. So you're going from like high school, college level where you can do that with that level of talent to the NBA where, you know, you know, pros are pros for a reason. So Overall, I love IJX. I had him at five myself, Fachi. So uh, I think our top five might be identical, but we'll just, possible. we'll just keep it moving here with your number four. Who you got? I got Sticks himself, Jalen yep. Smith. So Smith looked rejuvenated when he got to Indiana. Averaged 13.4 points, 7.5 rebounds. Did it on 53% shooting and 37% from three in his 22 games. Look, we've already heard this is our starting power forward, you know, straight out of the words from the front office. But he's been working out with the boys all summer, building the chemistry. He's valued here. He's happy. He knows the offense. And I think that if he can do that, I think he can do what he did last year for 82 games. If not, take a step forward. Maybe round that off to can you give us 15 and 8, 15 and 7, whatever. But also just be able to be a consistent three-point shooter be a solid rebounder. I would like to see him develop as a defender, yeah. um, continue keeping up that three-point shooting so we know it's not just really like a fluke. But what I saw last year was really promising that you got to remember, this, this is a lotto pick just a couple years ago. And, oh, yeah, he's only 22 years old. Yeah, now there's a lot to be excited about with him. And I think the fact that he came back here is just so impressive, you know, with the limitations the Pacers had in terms of money and stuff like that. But – just looking at his game, like one of the things that I really have liked, like going back and looking at some of his film from last year, um, I did that the other day when I was making that video, I was looking at some of those old highlights and I forgot how good of like a passer he is actually when he was able to like drive and like dish off to one of the big men. Like he had a couple of those with Goga, I believe this, this season. I mean, not a lot, but it's like, he's a three point shooter shot pretty well for the Pacers. Um, he's got athleticism to like get above the rim and dunk. I don't know how much of a lob threat he is, but when he puts the ball on the floor, like he can take his guy off the dribble and, and get in, get into space and create, you know, a shot at the rim for himself. But he's also like, if he reads the defense step up, he's not afraid to make that nice little dump off there. So that's something I like. And, you know, in our song and in our intro, we talk about him being able to block shots. Like 
definitely not the most highlights from him blocking shots because no. it's not Never like his one, one block as a pacer, but you know, only one, one per game. Yeah. Oh, one per game. Okay. I was like, yeah, only no, one block okay. for the whole time. Yeah. He was here. I was like, yeah. dang, bro. Like that's a terrible thing to put yeah. in the song then. But, um, <laughs> but no, no, I agree with you, man. I, I definitely think that there is a lot of untapped potential here. Tyrese Halliburton is going to make him so much better. And, and that's what we already saw. It was evident. He's confident here. He's going to have that starting role. He, like you said, he found his smile again. So we love him. I think that Goggles sticks himself. It's just like, what an awesome dude. Like, yeah, really <laughs> I love his personality. He's all about the game, does not care about anything else. Like, Tyree's coming on talking about his fashion it. sense. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just so funny, man. Like, he's like, you he don't care. And that's what I love. Like, just, co- just come play ball and let's move on. So, uh, any other thoughts on Smith before we move no, on? To three? Yeah, I just want to say, like, what Tyree said for him is, like, what I tell Babe all the time. When, they, you know, she's like, come on, like, that's what you're going to wear. And I'm like, I'm comfortable. Like, yeah. you know, like that, that sounds like Jalen Smith. Like, yeah, he's making a couple million dollars, but he's like, I'm comfortable right now. I don't want to like wear that stuff, you know? Yeah. You know what I asked my wife? Does this make me look fat? <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. said, does this make me look fat? And she's like, um, yeah, that, that one does show a little bit too much of your body. <laughs> so let's change your shirt up here. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's always good to get an honest opinion. But at the end of the day, comfort above, um, style fashion i guess is what yeah you say. yeah yeah exactly so, but uh, moving on next on my list i have this guy that maybe we're just a little too low maybe people forgot i don't know if they hit snooze too many times but chris duarte all right number three chris duarte. i think people they're still sleeping on him this man averaged over 13 points per game as a rookie he had an inconsistent role like he's a starter oh no oh, he's coming up the bench oh he's hurt he's coming back he dealt with some injuries a shoulder injury the toe injury uh, I, I feel like this is someone that you give him a starting role, you give him consistent minutes. I think he can average like 16, maybe 17 points per game for the Pacers. Uh, he shot 37% from three last year. I, I felt like at times, at least for the first half of the year, he might have been our best three-point shooter. So yeah. I feel like it's very possible for him to continue to shoot 37%. He also did it on a very reasonable sample size, nearly five attempts per game. So I think that this is someone that, we got to wake up about and be like, hey, yeah, he's older than your average guy going into his second year, but he's good. He, he's got massive two-way potential in this league. So I'm putting Duarte at three, and I feel like that's the spot to put him at. Yeah, I think his son might be almost as old as Goga. No, I'm just kidding. Very possible. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, no, I agree with you, man. I love Chris Duarte, and I think people have kind of like – Given us or given me a little bit of slack saying I don't like Chris Duarte because I was like people talk contemplating like starting Mather and over him and then people are like oh so you think that Duarte sucks now it's like not really I just you drafted one guy number six and one guy 13th and one guy was drafted because you were trying to win and the other was drafted to try to help rebuild your team so no let's just calm down there I mean I did say at one point that if it meant that we got DeAndre Ayton then I probably would consider it if Duarte was a a bench player and there was not like much of a a bright I'm like why would I be afraid of giving up a sixth or seventh man on the team if I can get a starting center like come on people think about what you're saying like as much as I like Duarte like I get it if you're saying we shouldn't have to give up anything for him that's what that was understandable I'm just saying if that's what it took I wouldn't want to be hesitant in doing it but with that being said I love Chris Duarte's game Fachi I think the three-point shooting one of the better defenders last year analytically so that's a big thing there. I think defensively he is going to get better because he's going to know how to position himself. Um, 
with the NBA, he's already played a year. It's going to slow down for him. Like we talked about, he's going to get a little bit bulkier over the summer. I think we already saw how much different he looked in that one game of summer league, just kind of being that team leader, you know, playing a different role, kind of dictating things from a side and letting other guys get involved while he kind of pick and chose his spots. And I think that's what's going to happen with him, whether he's coming off the bench or starting. We've talked about who should start and who shouldn't a little bit, but not, not too in depth. So Love Chris Duarte, believe he is a huge part of this team's future. And I would kind of be shocked at this point if they did trade him. Yeah, yeah. At this point, I really think the Pacers need to, you know, fully unleash Duarte. So I'm looking forward to that. But number two on my list, Ben McMatherin. Look, Mm. Matherin has already flashed massive potential. I believe he averaged the most points per minute out of any rookie in summer league. And I thought was one of the most impressive players in summer league overall. So I think he could and should be the alpha scorer of this Pacers team moving forward. I think that Benedict Mathern could be your a option. Okay. Oh yeah. You think he has potential to be better than Tyrese Halliburton as a scorer, as a scorer. I'm saying overall as a player. Uh, I mean, the, the potential's there. I can't say the okay. potential's not there, but I'm talking about your alpha score. Like, okay. Tyrese, set him up. That's your running mate. Like, I, I think that Matherin is someone that can be averaging 20 points per game for the Pacers in the future. Not saying it's going to be next year, but I'm, I need I need to have everybody <laughs> get that out there. I didn't say next year, but moving forward in the future, I think that, that he has that 20 points per game potential. So I think that he could still grow as a defender, but I think that he has what we're looking for, the confidence in his game. I mean, I, I just thought that this guy in summer league was a treat to watch. Who's, whose ceiling is higher in your opinion? What, uh, between uh, Halliburton and Matherin? Yeah. I, I'd say Halliburton. I mean, Halliburton, I think it, it's, it's real tough because I don't want to sell a guy short who hasn't even played in the NBA yet. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. We cannot judge Matherin because he hasn't played in the NBA yet. It's way too early. Like, we can maybe do it after this year, uh, oh, yeah. after well, a year of playing, right? And then come back to it and say, okay, Fachi, look at both the rookie seasons, look at maybe his compared to Duarte's, Halliburton's, who's got the higher ceiling. Then we can make that. But there's no way that any of us should be no. going out on a limb and saying, well, Matherin's got a higher ceiling than Halliburton. No, I mean. That's why one man's listed number two, and one man's yeah. listed number one. Physically gift, physical-wise, oh, yeah. Matherin is much more physically gifted than Halliburton. For Halliburton sure. couldn't stop talking about those muscles. Yeah. He was like, have you seen how thick he is? Multiple positions. I mean, that is one of the things that I think will help him maybe yeah. reach a higher apex in terms of, like, who he is. But it's like, no offense, but, like, Chris Paul is who everyone compares Halliburton to. Yes. And – Look, Chris Paul don't have like those huge muscles to guard players one through five, but he's incredibly smart. So it's like, no, I I think that they're going to be perfectly matched together. So obviously Matherin's two for me, Halliburton's one. I was just trying to act like a shock when you said Matherin at two. You were trying to rile me up, but uh, I was like, what, what, what? But you kind of like the way you hit on him as like a potential guy being the number one scorer. I wonder, like I've heard some comparisons of Bradley Beal to Matherin. I wonder if we're looking at maybe like a John Wall, Bradley Beal of – Indiana here with Halliburton. Only fitting you named two wizards from your favorite team, huh? How about oh, yeah. that? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, I know, man. I I I love the John Wall Bradley Bill do. I mean, that was one of 
our favorite duos to watch together, Fudge. So that's one of the things I'm just thinking about. Like, they're totally different players. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I don't think Halliburton yeah. and Wall are even close to the same player. But, yeah. like, level of impact that they could have on a yeah, team. Yeah. Like, they're going to have to get better pieces than what I think the Wizards put around those two guys in terms of building. And obviously health issues came in. But, like, the one year they were both healthy, like, they took the Celtics to seven games, right? So yeah. that's kind of what I can see potential-wise in terms of, like, just – apex of talent those two reaching but you know that is projecting quite a bit for a guy that's not played in the league yet so i just try to pump the brakes but i'm also excited about the future these brakes might need changing i don't know if i can pump them man this this car is in motion right now i love what i see out of matherin i just feel that this man has a different type of potential than yeah. any rookie the pacers have drafted or had in our lifetime so i'm thrilled about him but number one on the list, Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah. Look, simply put, this guy's the franchise, the cornerstone. He's the guy who lays the groundwork for everything else to be built up around. So he's the guy that's going to take us past being a four-seed or a five-seed or a six-seed and saying that we actually have the real potential to compete with the top teams in the league. And we talked about, hey, Pacers have had five you know, uh, most approved players of the year. I feel like Tyrese Halliburton, he, he's like an artist. I think he can create the next most approved player of the year for the Pacers. He brings that type of – he raises the ceiling overall, and it's hard to have a player on each team that raises the ceiling for everybody else, and that's what he does. Yeah, I can't say enough great things about Halliburton. Obviously, he was on the podcast just the last episode. I mean, terrific human being. On and off the court, I think he's just going to change the entire culture of this franchise. Mm -hmm. And the fact that Rick Carlisle just praises him like he's his own kid, right? I mean, that how that's how much Rick Carlisle loves Tyrese Halliburton. Like, it's kind of like, it's kind of funny just to listen to him talk about him because he almost gets giddy like a high school girl, you know what I, I mean? I was going to tease Tyrese and say, like, you are the light of his eye. Like, his Yeah, thank God you didn't school. do that. Like, I mean, Please, that's how Carl thank God. talks about it. I know, but thank God you didn't do that. You were cringing enough on that episode. But with that being said, um, I would just say this. Halliburton is a fantastic player overall, Bosh. We know that. We know that Halliburton's a really great player. And you don't get DeAndre Ayton to sign a max offer sheet if you don't have Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, you max. Know, and, and that is where I'm at with it. We've desperately needed this level of true point guard on this team. He is that guy. He's going to continue to take us to that next level. I don't care how great Benedict Matherin is in his rookie year. He's not going to be who he is without Tyrese Halliburton. So that is the kind of the thing. He is the engine that's going to keep this team running. They're building around him. So I think at the end of the day, our top five were the same Fachi. So we're kind of in a, you know, an agreement there on who makes the most sense moving forward. But um, our six through 13 was quite jumbled up, but our, 14 or 15, 14, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 were all the same. So 33% accurate in terms of commonalities and 66.7% in terms of uh, differentiating. So nice back and forth, but any final thoughts before we sign off? No, I mean, hey, it just shows that guys, we don't script this out. We're not showing each, you know, each other what our answers are. No, we want to have it be, be different if it's different. We have different opinions on this, but also, it kind of shows that the Pacers have five guys, at least five, that we feel really good about to the point where it's like these are important pieces. And then there's a couple ones that you still got to see a little bit more about. You know, contracts, options need to be picked up or new contracts need to be dished out. 
then there's a couple guys that just quite frankly are not going to be here long term. And we know that you guys know that. I think the front office knows it, but it's just a matter of time. Absolutely. Fachi. So this is a lot of fun. Um, I'm going to be on vacation for like about the next five days. So Fachi's going to hold it down maybe for an episode or two while I'm out, but we will get those uploaded for you. So have no fear. Fachi will hold the fort down. I don't know what he's got up his sleeve, but I'm, I'm expecting nothing but the fochiest of episodes. So wow. Big time Foch episode coming. Yeah, buckle up, everybody. You never know what could happen when Michael J. Focci is on the mic by himself without me. So with that being said, where can people find us on social media? All right. So you can find us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook, Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok, Setting the Pace. And Alex, Tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Yeah, if you guys want to see the Tyrese Halliburton interview or our reaction to the Malcolm Brogdon trade or Michael Scotto talking about rumors from last month, <laughs> for whatever reason, the Lance Stevenson episodes, all those, YouTube, Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast. But if you're excited to see the duo of Benedict Matherin and Tyrese Halliburton for the long-term future, say these three words. Let's go Pacers!